Thank you for listening today. We hope that this message from God's Word will help you to grow in your knowledge of God and your relationship with Him. At Lucy Baptist Church, we are fully committed to loving God, loving people, and making disciples. Now here's today's message. As we begin this brief journey together in this wonderful book from the Word of God, I pray we'll more and more come to recognize and understand that Jesus truly is everything, that He truly is all that we need. And in his greeting and introduction of this letter in these first four verses, again, he, I believe, shows us that if we know Jesus, we truly have all that we need. So notice if we, with me, if you will, seven ways in which Jesus is the source for all that we need. Note, first of all, that Jesus is the source of a faith of equal standing. A faith of equal standing. Peter, uh, of course, begins by identifying himself as a bond servant. That word literally means bond slave. And I understand some 60% of the Roman Empire uh, were slaves. And so I believe to understand what Peter means when he says that, we, it helps us to understand the mindset of the people toward slaves of that day. Remember again, a slave was someone who absolutely had no rights of his own, who had been purchased by his master, over whom that master had absolute authority and power. He could do anything legally within his right to that slave that he wanted to do, including killing him, abusing him, because he was merely seen as property. And Peter says to these people, I am a bond slave of Jesus Christ, a bond slave of Jesus Christ. And dear friend, that's true of every one of us because we, as God's children, every one of us who are his children, we have been purchased with the blood of Christ. That is the, the precious redemption that Peter talks about in 1 Peter, that we've been redeemed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And now we belong to him absolutely, totally, and completely. And it is our joy to serve our master. We live for his pleasure, our master, the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter also identifies himself as an apostle. That word, it means sent one, one who is sent out with a message, with full authority from the one for whom he is sent to deliver that message from God. And the Bible says that is who we are as well as believers. We are sent ones. While we do not hold the office of apostle, we are sent ones. We do go with the the message. But, But in saying this, while he spoke of being a bondservant, which is a term obviously of humanity, Humility, the term of apostle is a term of authority. And so he speaks with full authority with that message from, from God to those whom, to whom he is writing. And these apostles, of course, specifically an office that was held by those who had walked with the Lord Jesus as Peter did and even had seen him following his resurrection. Paul being a, a, an addition to those apostles, uh, the apostle to the Gentiles, one who, who had come to know Jesus after his resurrection but had seen him on that road to Damascus. And he too uh, was an apostle. So a a term of of authority of those who were uh, used of God in the establishment of the church. But then he identifies the recipients of the letter as those uh, uh, who have obtained, as New King James says, like precious faith. Sometimes the word faith is used in scripture to speak of the body of truth, such as in Jude 3. It is preceded, when, it, when this is true, by the article the, uh, the faith. 
Uh, this, of course, in this passage, doesn't have the, the article, and, uh, and, and it's in, in its verb form uh, would, would not indicate that it was not the body of truth, but was literally the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, uh, and, and the, the, he's describing here saving faith. Notice he says that we, are, we have obtained or have received that faith. It is a gift we receive, something we do not earn, something we do not deserve. The Bible says in order to have this faith, in, Hebrew, in Romans 10, 17, he says, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Again, because we are totally depraved as sinners, God must take the initiative in our salvation. Ephesians 2, 8 says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. He describes this faith as that of, it is, as he, again, New King James and others say, like precious faith. And by the, word, by the way, precious is a word that Peter uh, also is inspired to use in this, in this book. And the word precious means equal in rank or position or honor, standing, price or value. And again, ESV translates it a, a faith of equal standing with ours. Now, it's important to remember what Peter has just said. He's described himself as an apostle, a position of authority, a bond slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. And he says to these recipients, these believers of various positions, some from a, a Jewish background, no doubt, some who've been Gentile, some of a very wicked past, some of some other type of religion and past. But he says, you have received a faith of equal standing with ours, a faith that puts you on the same level with us. Because every one of us are, uh, as, as someone put it, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. We come to him in repentance and faith, surrendering ourselves to the lordship of Christ. But praise God, we are joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and this faith that he gives to us, uh, to us as a gift, enables us to repent of our sin and place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We share the same uh, precious, valuable uh, faith, honorable faith uh, as the apostles or the most valuable person or the most uh, honored person that you can think of. So again, he's describing here this wonderful faith that, that the Lord Jesus is the source of, that we receive, that puts us on equal standing. MacArthur illustrated faith this way. He said, if a person chokes or drowns and stops breathing, there is nothing he can do. The only way that person will ever breathe again is if someone starts him breathing again. And, and in our dead spiritual condition outside of Christ, we can do nothing to start ourselves spiritually breathing again. God has to take the initiative in our lives in, in bringing us through a, a faithful servant and witness of Christ, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, God has to supply our faith even because we're not capable of that. God intervenes in us. And so again, faith is simply breathing the breath that God's grace supplies for us. So praise God today, Jesus is the source of our faith of equal standing. And if you've experienced that today, praise God for his intervention in your life. If not, we pray today 
will be that day for you that you will recognize your need and by faith that God supplies, cry out to him in repentance and trust and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the source of that faith of equal standing. Notice second, Jesus is a source of true righteousness. He goes on in the second part of, of this verse as he, he says, not only have we obtained like precious faith, but he says uh, it is supplied for us by the righteousness of God our Savior, Jesus Christ. Notice even here, he's, he refers to Jesus as, as God. Uh, if people question you concerning that, the Bible's very clear about the fact that Jesus is God, the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. But saving faith is available to us because of the true righteousness of Jesus. God, it, listen, God is perfectly just when we say just, we mean righteous. He is perfectly just and righteous in condemning lost sinners to hell. In fact, really, but for us to come to Christ, we have to come to that realization that we are hell-deserving sinners. And that if God gave us what we deserve, that is exactly what we receive. In fact, the Bible says, apart from Christ, we are already condemned to that eternal hell. But again, when, when God, by his grace and his work in us, comes and, and under the hearing of the gospel, we repent of our sin and place faith in Jesus and his finished work for us on the cross and, uh, and his resurrection from the grave, what, what happens? The Bible says to us that upon that repentance and faith, surrendering to Christ, the Bible says that God uh, deposits the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ into our bankrupt account. Uh, the, the theologians use the word for that, imputing his righteousness. Uh, and again, that means to depart his righteousness into us, depositing, if he will, uh, his righteousness into our account. Uh, again, one, one wonderful verse that describes that so beautifully is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I believe it was Hudson Taylor who called that the great exchange. God, uh, who of course is perfectly righteous, the Lord Jesus, who's perfectly righteous, we are perfectly uh, sinners, hell-deserving sinners. But again, upon that uh, repentance and faith uh, to, in, in the Lord Jesus Christ, he takes our wickedness. That's what he did upon the cross. He became sin for us so that we might become the very righteousness of God in him. So God, uh, through this act of his grace, he deposits the righteousness of Christ. He took our wickedness so that we could take his righteousness. Dear friend, Jesus is the source of true righteousness. He is righteous. And again, therefore, we, uh, this is hard to say and imagine, but we become as righteous as Jesus is righteous. You say, that sounds impossible. Well, again, it's not our righteousness. It's his righteousness. And it's the only kind of righteousness that God accepts. All other righteousness is false righteousness, is self-righteousness. That's why Romans 3, 9 says there is none righteous. No, not one. And dear friend, that includes you. So again, the question we sometimes ask people in sharing the gospel, we'll ask them, uh, if you stood before God today, and he asked you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? 
And dear friend, if you would say, as those described in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, if you begin to try to defend yourself and your righteousness and say, oh, I, I've tried to be good, and, and, and as they did there in Matthew 7, they began to say, Lord, will we not cast out demons in your name? Have we, have we not done many mighty works in your name? Uh, and, and I know in modern day language, people would say, Lord, I went to church, I was faithful, I, I, I served, I was on the committee, I even served in the nursery. Lord, have I not done these things? Then, dear friend, the Bible says you're placing your faith in your righteousness. That is works righteousness, and that is no righteousness. That is righteousness that the Bible would describe in Isaiah as filthy rags. So, dear friend today, what righteousness are you trusting in? Whose righteousness are you trusting in? Thirdly, Jesus is the source of God's abundant grace and peace. Two words that often occur in the New Testament, especially in greetings. But those, uh, those words, notice in, in verse 2, again, he says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Someone has pointed out that grace always comes before peace. Grace has been defined as God's sovereign kindness at work, his favor to men and women, and I could say boys and girls, who are totally undeserving. And it's, the, it's uh, again, as one put it, it's not only how we get in, and it is how we get in by God's grace, but it's also how we go on. It's how we get in and it's how we go on. Everything God does, he does as a, as, as a, on the basis of his grace. Have you received that grace today? Have you received the grace of God? And then he says grace and peace. Peace is the work by which God takes sinners who are his enemies and on the basis of Christ's atoning death upon their repentance and faith in Christ and Christ alone, he reconciles them. Those who were enemies, he reconciles. He, he makes his friends and even his family forever. What a wonderful work of God's grace and peace. So then the Bible says in Romans 5, 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and in which we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So we have peace with God, and then praise God, as Philippians 4 tells us, then we're able to experience the peace of God, a continual relationship of peace. It puts us at peace with God, and then it even puts us at peace with one another because it is through his reconciliation that we become, as 2 Corinthians says, ministers of reconciliation. So Peter's prayer for them is that this grace and peace would be multiplied to them, imagine that word multiply, multiplied to them as if though just what we got when we got in was, well, it's not insufficient, but it goes on, it grows. It's a growing process. Again, this word, he says, multiply to them in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. That word knowledge again means true and rich and full knowledge of Jesus. This abundant growing experience of grace and peace comes through a growing knowledge of Jesus. Is your knowledge of Jesus growing? As you, is, are you coming to know Jesus better? That's what the Word of God says we can experience. Are you growing 
in grace? Are you growing in peace in your life? Can you look back and see how God is bringing you closer and more like the Lord Jesus Christ? Jesus is a source of God's abundant grace and peace. Number four, Jesus is the source of power for life and godliness. The source of power for life and godliness. He says in verse three, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. His divine power. This is another reference to Jesus' deity, that he is God. His power is the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, though fully God, yet lived his life in dependence on the power of the Holy Spirit. He did that as an example to us as well, because that is how we live as believers. We live in dependence upon his indwelling power. And again, the verb form here, he said he's granted to us. This, uh, this word means a past event with, with a continuing results. His power has permanently given to us everything. And you know how I emphasized that word everything earlier in the illustration? The word everything is, is emphasized in the text and that receives the greatest emphasis. Brother Herb would say the Holy Spirit shouts this word, everything. He's given to us everything pertaining to life. And the word here, life, of course, we know Scripture says, John, 1 John 5, 11 says, He who has the Son, Jesus, has life. And by the same token, he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Paul said, when Christ who is our life. Jesus said in John 10, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall Never perish. How is this possible? When we are, we know we don't deserve it, absolutely. Because again, life is a gift of God. It's something God gives to us. It's his life. And what kind of life does God have? God has eternal life. It is his life. And he's granted to us, permanently granted to us, everything, everything pertaining to life. His power makes that possible, dear friend. It is his power, his indwelling power. But also his power is granted to us everything pertaining to godliness. To godliness. This word is the combination in the original language of two words, which mean well, two words together, well and worship. His power enables us to walk and to, wor to worship, to walk, to serve in a manner that glorifies them. Paul said in Romans 12, 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to him, which is your reasonable service, New American Standard says, of worship. Worship. That's why we can say that God wants everything we do to be an expression of worship, an offering of worship up to him. And the power of God through the Holy Spirit made possible by the Lord Jesus is what enables us to live out a life of godliness, the life of godliness that brings honor and glory. His power. And Peter, remember, is, the, is a, a disciple who witnessed the power of Jesus upon the earth throughout his ministry. He saw the miraculous power of the Lord Jesus. And even Jesus raised himself from the grave by his own power. 
And the Bible said that is the power now at work within us, the power of the resurrection dwelling within us. How then can we live powerless lives when we have so much power available to us? Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. So let me ask you today, brother and sister in Christ, if you are a child of God, are you living up to that power? Are you availing yourself of that power made available to you by the Lord Jesus through the indwelling Holy Spirit? He is the source of power for life and godliness. Number five, Jesus is the source of the true knowledge of God. The true knowledge of God. Again, uh, the latter part of verse three, I, I, I read it already, but he, uh, he says to us that uh, there in verse three, that, that this comes through the knowledge, once again, the knowledge, the full true knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. By glory and virtue. And, and again, it, it, he, he called us. Again, this speaks of our call to salvation. We are drawn by his glory. Glory has been defined as the manifest presence of God. Throughout his life, Jesus demonstrated and manifested uh, the presence of God, the glory of God. In fact, John wrote in John uh, 1, 4, he said, four, rather 14, John chapter 1, verse 14, and Peter could have written these words as well because they, he experienced it as well. When he says, he, the, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus manifested the full glory of God. And Peter is saying it was his glory that God used again to call us and to show us who he was, the full deity of Christ. And again, that I, I believe shows us that as we come to recognize and as God does a work in our heart to show us our need for Christ, he shows us who Jesus is. That's why, again, anyone who tells you that knowing who Jesus is and knowing that Jesus is God is not important. Oh, no, dear friend. Again, Scripture is very clear about that. We must understand who he is. He is fully God. And he enables us by the work of his spirit, by the power of the gospel, to see who he is in all the fullness of his Godhead and his glory. But also, he, he reveals to us his virtue, as New King James translate, translates it. ESV translates it, his excellence. And again, while, while his glory speaks of his deity, his virtue or excellence speaks of his perfect humanity. Again, in his life, we see, and as we've studied together through the Gospel of Luke, we see his, his perfect humanity, his sinless Humanity. The writer of Hebrews said again that, that again that he uh, he was uh, tempted in all points as we are, in every respect he's been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He reveals who God is to us. So Jesus is a source of true the true knowledge of God. We cannot know God apart from Jesus. He said, He said, No one can come to the Father except by me. Again, this is a matter of growing in knowledge. And again, that theme verse we mentioned, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Are you growing in your knowledge of Jesus? Paul's, I believe, life verse was likely, again, Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, that I may know 
him. And Paul already was in the latter years of his life, had known Christ many years, that I may know him. That was the pursuit of his life, to know Jesus in the fullness of his resurrection and being made conformable to his death and, and the power of his resurrection that he might know him. Do you know Jesus? Are you growing in your knowledge of Jesus? Number six, Jesus is the source of God's precious and great promises. Notice again verse four, by which we have been given, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. These precious and great promises, literally valuable and greatest promises. These are not something that, that, that's just, that are just out there in the future. They are for us to, to uh, appropriate to our lives right now. God's great and precious Promises. What are these promises for? He said that we may be, may become, be or become partakers of the divine nature. Jonathan preached last month on fellowship. And the word here for partakers is that word, kononia, fellowship, uh, that, we might be, uh, that we might be fellowship, that we might join in, that we might participate in the divine nature, that we might fully be able to know God in all of his fullness through the Lord Jesus Christ, that we might be partners with him. And again, through Jesus' promises, we jointly participate in the life of God. And again, this is a, it's an immediate uh, thing when we come to know Christ. It's a lifelong process. We're, we're not like him yet. We're not there yet, are we? But the Bible says when we see, when we, when we see him, we will be like him. We will uh, we'll see glorified bodies like his. The, only, the difference is, friend, Jesus will always be infinite and will always be finite. And I believe that's gonna make, one of the things that's going to make heaven so wonderful. Just like uh, I've had the privilege, Karen and I, to go to the Grand Canyon. Some of you have too. And if you go to one place, you're looking at one spot. And then you may drive down the road a mile. And you may be looking at the same thing, but it looks altogether different. You see, Jesus is, is infinite. And in heaven, we're going to always be beholding his glory. We're always going to be overwhelmed. And we're always going to be growing in our understanding of Jesus and our knowledge of him. But, but praise God, it'll be apart from sin, no longer dealing with the things that weighed us down here in his presence. He's the, the source of our being able to fellowship with him and be become partakers of his divine nature. John wrote in John, 1 John 1, 3, that we who have seen and heard, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So our fellowship was with him, but also there is this parallel aspect to our fellowship because, again, it's through Jesus that we fellowship with one another and we grow together. That's why, again, this is not an individual pursuit. It's a, it's a joint pursuit in the family of God. We're joint, growing together in our understanding of Jesus and in our likeness of him. That's why we desperately need the church and we need one another in Christ. But number seven, Jesus is the source for escaping the corruption of the world. The last thing he says there in, in verse 4, again, is having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. The words having escaped, this is the only time this is used 
in the New Testament. But it pictures what happened at salvation. The, the word here literally means to flee away. We have fled away is what he's describing here. That's what happened when we came to Christ. We have fled away. We've escaped the corruption that is in the world. The word corruption is a word that is used to describe a, a rotting corpse. A rotting corpse. You know what that, and you know what comes along with a rotten corpse? Stench. He say we, we've escaped that, that rotten corpse, that stench of what we were. And that's again what we, what we as believers come to realize. We don't become proud and arrogant because we know what we are, more, were and we know the more we come to know Jesus and the glory of who he is, the more disgusted we become with the flesh, the more we hate what we were and the more we glory in who he is, and the more we focus upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we've escaped that. Does that mean that we never have any more struggles? Absolutely not. As long as we live in this flesh, we still have the power of sin within us. But praise God, what Jesus has done for us at the cross, the Bible says not only did he die for us, the Bible says we died with him. That's what Paul said in another life verse in Galatians 2.20 when he says, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, uh, and not I, Christ lives in me. He's saying, that's how I have victory. Romans 6, 11, he says, I, I reckon myself, I count myself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Lord Jesus is the source for escaping the corruption of the, this world as daily we reckon ourselves, count ourselves, consider ourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Jesus our Lord. Hebrews 4, rather Ephesians 4.22, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through, de through deceitful desires. Jesus has made that possible to have victory, to walk in victory and overcome and flee away from the corruption of this world. Dear friend, have you come to recognize today that Jesus really is everything. That really, Jesus really is all you need. You see, for you to try to, uh, to, to think that, uh, that you needed Jesus to come to faith, but now you're having to bolster up yourself, is not to understand the fullness of who he is. It's not to understand the, the sufficiency of all that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. I love that story of the, the wealthy man who, who had one son, he and his wife, just one son. He loved him very, very much. The son died. Sometime later, his wife also died, and finally this man died. But this man was a very wealthy man, and he had many, many beautiful, expensive, valuable paintings. And so they held an auction with no other heirs to receive them. They held an auction for all these beautiful, expensive paintings. The very first thing to be auctioned was a painting of this son. Well, some of the people there said, couldn't we just wait on that? that? That's not, we didn't come here for that. They said, no, by his design, by his order, this is to be the very first thing that we auction off today. And so they opened up the bids. There was one man in the crowd that day who was interested in the painting. Everyone else was anxious to move on to the more valuable paintings. But one man knew this family, but well, and he too loved this son. So the, the bids started out very low, and the man bid, and he was the only one that was interested in the painting, and he, he, 
he won the bid and he received the painting. At that moment, the auctioneer said, the bids and the auction is now closed. The people, some who travel great distances, said, what? What about the rest of those paintings? We came to bid on those other paintings. And he said, also by the order of the owner of these paintings, the person who got the son got everything else. So this man who had the son also had everything else. Dear friend, if you have the son, if you have Jesus, the Bible says you truly have all you need. And Paul's words in Colossians, in him, in Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in him. Please listen to me today. If you're looking outside of Jesus, you're on a pursuit that will never be fulfilled. Jesus is the end of your search. And we today commend him to you, the one who loves you, the one who died for sinners, the one who was buried, who rose again, who became sin for us, as we said earlier, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. If today you're willing to repent, turn away from your sin, place your faith and trust in Jesus and his finished work for you and his resurrection is life today, surrendering your life to him as Lord. The Bible says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Paul preached a message that summed it up. He said, I told everyone, Jew and Greek, repentance toward God, turn from your sin and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Put your total trust in Jesus and him alone to save you, and he will. Dear friend, we invite you, we urge you, we plead with you, put your trust in the sufficient Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is Pastor David Lawrence. Thank you for listening to this message. We pray that God used his word in your life today. If you do not have a relationship with God, the Bible says you can as you turn from your sin, place your faith in Christ Jesus, his death for you on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, and surrender your life to Jesus as Lord. We'd like to invite you to join us for worship. You can find information about the times and locations for all of our gatherings on our website at lucybaptist.com. If you have any questions or if we can minister to you in any way, please call us at 901-872-0623 or email us at info at lucybaptist.com.